Hello, everybody. Welcome to the first episode of the Four Guys Roundtable Show. I am one of your hosts. Hello, guys. So my name's Joe, <laughs> aka Theo. You can call me Joe. You can call me Theo. You can call me whatever you want. Um, so tonight is episode one of our show. So I welcome everybody who's going to be watching and listening to uh, to the show. And uh, hopefully we have more to come after this. Um, so I'll get this ball rolling. So what we'll do first is we're going to do a little intro of everybody. So like I said, my name's Joe, aka Theo. Some people call me. Um, so whatever you want to, you know, roundabout, go for it. Um, so first, give you a little background of me. You know, Cubs hat, Cubs shirt. Got some Chicago memorabilia in the background. Um, originally from Chicago. Um, you can put your thumbs down, whatever, because Philadelphia sucks. Uh, so let's start that off right there. Um, so I eat, breathe, leave. Um, I'm sorry. I eat, breathe, live, shit, die, repeat Chicago sports. All right. So that's 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 me um, in regards to that. Uh, I will say growing up, you know, of course, being from Chicago, who, who wouldn't watch Michael Jordan? He was one of my guys. Um, probably my... Other people I, I was uh, huge fans of is, you know, uh, Walter Payton and Ryan Sandberg, uh, Jeremy Roenick of my Blackhawks. Uh, those are the people I, you know, watch the most for the most part. Those are my guys growing up. Um, right now, basketball, whatever. The Bulls are what they are. <laughs> they suck. I'll be the first to admit it. Uh, the Bears, whatever. <laughs> you know. I guess I'm a Khalil Mack fan. I, you know, there's no one else really to root for. All my other guys like Erlacher and Briggs are gone. Peanut Tillman. Um, baseball, you know, uh, Rizzo, Chris Bryant, whatever. Those guys, love those guys. Uh, and hockey, which you guys need to get more into hockey. I don't know what the fuck your problems are, guys. Besides Pat, him and his shitty-ass New York teams. But anyway, uh, Mike Kane, Patrick, uh, Patrick Kane and uh, Jonathan Tate, those, those two of my guys. Um but whatever, I'm ranty. It is what it is. Uh, like I said, it's easy. Chicago and it ends there. So um, I'm gonna hand this off to um, my big dude who's in my bottom right corner of my screen. He goes by Darth Pat. I don't whatever. So <laughs> take it off and then explain yourself, please. Good evening, Rebel Scum. That's right. <laughs> scum. there said, "I I am Darth Pat." Um. Basically, I grew up a New York sports team fan, being from Northern Jersey originally, now living here in the vast emptiness that is Pennsylvania. It is an emptiness. Hence where I moved. Emptiness to it. And I live in one of the more interesting parts of Pennsylvania. But anyway, uh, in terms of me growing up, you know, favorite athlete by far was the great Dave Winfield. You know, being a Yankees fan, you know, it was, uh, it was always fun. It was like always like kind of, kind of back and forth if you were a Yankees fan in the 80s. Were you, were you a Winfield fan or were you a Don Mattingly fan? My older sister loved Mattingly. I loved Winfield. And, you know, our arguments got to be about as heated as supposedly they were in the Yankee clubhouse during those years. So, But I was always a Winfield guy. Hey, he's the Hall of Famer, so there. Uh, also, of course, was a big Lawrence Taylor fan because if, you know, your first memory of ever watching a football game, is Super Bowl twenty one, then you're going to be a big Lawrence Taylor fan, especially when your, parents get the, uh, when your parents get the video cassette that highlights the entire 1986 Giants season, which is when Lawrence Taylor won the MVP, and he was so freaking dominant. 85 Bears. Some, 
Just nothing <laughs> to highlight Deville T running over offensive tackles and pounding quarterbacks into the turf. So, you know, you're going to like that when you're growing up. Um, if I wanted to say who I was liking in basketball and, and uh, hockey as a kid, I mean, I didn't get into hockey until the Rangers were on their Stanley Cup run. So obviously it was Mark Messier, I think, because he was the main guy there. Basketball, um, being and again, it was Patrick Ewing. So, yeah. as, far as, as far as now, I find it funny in a way, even though I'm the youngest of the four guys here, just wanted to throw that out there. I find it kind of funny to, to be a big fan of athletes who are younger than me. I don't know why. I just I just find that funny, I guess. I've just like got to the age where I realize, now, shit, I'm older than everybody who's actually playing pro sports anymore. With a couple of exceptions, so. But so you, you know, old? Nah, not. But nah. he's an old soul. Yeah, I'm an old soul. <laughs> Doesn't get you anywhere. I, I've I've been dead inside since I turned twenty. No. Um, <laughs> but if I had to say well, who my favorite, part. Guys, okay. If I had to say who my favorite guys are now, again going through the four sports teams for me, which again would be, you know, Yankees, Giants, Rangers, Knicks. Uh, Yankees, you know, it's got to be Aaron Judge. I mean, he's, he's the most Winfield-like guy that I think I've ever seen in a lot of ways. Uh, for the Giants, Saquon Barkley, I mean, a guy who's from the area where, you know, I live right now, went to Penn State, which, of course, is my college team for football, and then gets drafted by my team. It's always going to be him. Hockey right now, you know, it's I guess you could still say it's Longquist, even though he's getting towards the end of his career. I'm hoping that Kako, being that he's so young and so highly touted, will uh, will become a superstar. Of course, I like Panarin this year, too, since he's been really great for the Rangers. And for the Knicks, um, do they still exist? <laughs> Barely. I swear to God there's a team that plays pro basketball in Madison Square Garden, but I don't remember if they're still called the Knicks. Maybe you should become a Brooklyn fan. Might be better off for you. You know, I have this one of this thing, one of these things that I think happens that even if, you, if you're from Jersey, but you grew up rooting for the New York teams, you looked at all those teams that played in Jersey, which is I mean, really just the Devils and the, and the Nets as being, you know, just vastly inferior. So it's like, I don't think I could ever actually become a Brooklyn fan, but you don't want to root for Kyrie yeah. and KD? Come on now. Well, where did Kyrie go to school? Go to school? <laughs> I forget. Yeah. That's 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 yeah, why. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a Duke, and I'm a UNC fan, so don't see myself becoming a Nets fan because of Kyrie. Oh, like took money. Probably took money like Zion. <laughs> that's that's gonna be fun. So okay, but that's me in a nutshell in terms of my teams and who I like. So with that, I will let this conversation go over to the guy flouting his golden state shirt over there. Mr. A J Nitro. So I'm AJ Nitro. Um, I'm a little bit more traveled than these, these gentlemen. I've lived in several States. Unfortunately, I grew up in the I grew up in the toilet bowl of America, better known as Cleveland, Ohio. Oh, so, I, oh. Cubs and in seven. Spent, I spent <laughs> the first uh, like 20 something years of my life here. And um, when I was a kid, 
I I guess I've I've always wanted to be different from where I lived. So I, I, I do not like any of the teams here. I've never liked any of the teams here. So when I was a kid, John Elway was my favorite athlete as a kid. And around here, around these parts, they don't really like him because he beat the clowns every year, just about. So I think that helped me not like the teams here because everybody didn't like him. So the animosity grew for me over time. So um, my favorite basketball player as a kid was Larry Bird. Um, I grew up watching the Celtics. Uh, my favorite baseball player was probably Kirby Puckett. So, but I wasn't necessarily a Twins fan. It was just more like Kirby Puckett for me. So once once he left, I didn't really like the Twins, and I didn't re- I didn't really watch hockey when I was a kid. So I can't really like claim anything with hockey. When I was in college, I liked Colorado. I liked the Avalanche. So I guess Joe Sackick was probably my favorite player. Maybe of all, he's probably my all-time favorite hockey player. So. So fortunately for me, at some point in my life, I, I moved out of this dumpster fire of a state <laughs> and I moved to Pennsylvania where I met these three knuckleheads and it was better there for me. I, I, I felt like I belonged there more. I never really felt like I belonged in Ohio. So, um, as an adult, um, my, I guess my Peyton Manning was, was one of my favorite players. And Jeremy, you see the Peyton Manning jersey hanging in the background for him. So me and him actually share that. Like, I was very fortunate because he ended up playing for the Broncos, which is my favorite team, and won a Super Bowl. So I got to see my favorite athlete play for my favorite team. That doesn't always happen. So um, my, my favorite baseball player right now is probably Aaron Judge. As, as Pat, I'm also a Yankees fan. <laughs> and my favorite basketball player is Steph Curry. I, 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 Steph Curry is probably my favorite athlete, period. So I, I like Steph threes. Curry. <laughs> Fucking three baller. So, Ruin the game and, of basketball. <laughs> so um, hopefully – in the next year here, I'm going to be out of Ohio and I'm going to move to Virginia or somewhere down South. And I'm going to be away from the worst sports fans. There are. So the Cleveland fans and the Buckeyes fans are the worst sports fans. Uh, Theo down there probably will disagree with me. Uh, Philly's right up there for me. You know, when you go to, you go to a (laughs) Phillies game and you know, their team loses to my team and people want to like throw slushies at you as you're walking out, uh, constitute kind of shitness right there, but yeah. Okay. So, so I'm, I'm going to turn it over. I'm going to turn it. Yeah. I, I also lived in New Hampshire up in New England for a while and the fans are also pretty terrible up there too. So I've, I've lived in some really uh, great cities for sports fans. Let me tell you. So I'm going to turn it over to turn it over to Jeremy now. All right. Well, hello, everybody. I am Jeremy. Uh, I might be last, but I'm definitely not least. Uh, I am one of the four co-hosts here. (laughs) There is no real host. We're all the hosts. Um, But as you can see, uh, we are all very diverse. And just a little bit about myself, uh, I actually grew up uh, pretty much in Pennsylvania. I've lived in Pennsylvania pretty much my entire life, except for two years where I lived in uh, Washington State. 
So that was a very long time ago, and I really don't remember much from that. I can tell you I was not a sports fan until I moved back here at the age of 10. So that's when I kind of fell in love with sports because I got into sports. Uh, and this guy right behind me here, Reggie White, is the reason I started playing football uh, as a kid uh, and played into, you know, about 10th grade or so. Uh, he was definitely uh, a big influence on me as a kid, made me want to play sports. I loved watching him play, you know, the minister of defense. He was just an amazing player to watch. Like I've never seen, even to this day, I can't say I've seen a defensive end that is that dominant, even against two people at the same time. Uh, you know, unfortunately, like always happens, your favorite player doesn't always retire from your favorite team, which is the Eagles. He ended up going to, you know, the Green Bay Packers. And Fudge get- Packers. <laughs> That's my dad's favorite team, funny enough, because um, he grew up watching them. Um, but, you know, he did get his ring, which he definitely deserved, you know, over his Hall of Fame career. Definitely deserved to have that ring, even though it wasn't what the team that I wanted him to get with. Um, as far as, like, basketball, probably my favorite basketball player to watch was Charles Barkley, because I was a huge Sixers fan, too. Uh, if you know, if it's a Phillies team, a Philadelphia team, I liked them, uh, even though I don't really watch hockey. Uh, that's never been a really big sport for me. Uh, at any time. Sorry, Joe. Sorry, Theo. Um, just, I enjoy it when Hockey I watch it, man. but it's, I just God. never really got into watching it all the time, but I did enjoy it, do enjoy it when I watch it. Um, but yeah, Charles Barkley was definitely my favorite player back in the day. Once again, he left to try and go run ring, but he didn't have any success with that because he kept on running into Theo's favorite player from basketball, Michael Jordan, who I have to give mad props to because as a true basketball fan, if you can't give props to Michael Jordan, you should not probably be a basketball fan and just pretend that you don't exist. Um, there's, some LeBron, there's some LeBron goes. people out there. That are like, yeah, there's some LeBron people out there. We're not going to talk about that right now. That's not going to be our topic of discussion today. I'll um, lower your blood pressure. Your that episode. But favorite player of football uh, after Reggie White, uh, moved on and retired and eventually then passed away was Peyton Manning. Um, most of the players that I liked in any sport are always players that you didn't hear about contract disputes. You didn't hear about them whining and complaining about stuff. I liked guys that just, they go to work and they get what they get because they deserve what they get and they don't bitch about it and complain about it. Like a lot of superstars do now. And what I'm hearing with the MLB drives me absolutely nuts. Um, so that's really – I'm a big fan of people that work hard, go hard, and then get paid for what they're worth, even if it is multimillion-dollar contracts, which seem absolutely insane to some people. Um, but that is me. So back to Theo. Hi. <laughs> so we start our first segment of the, of the episode. I think we should. So everyone, we're going to start off uh, a little wrestling here right now. Um, so what we wanted to talk about is um, uh, all of us have been watching the um, Dark Side of the Ring episodes. Um, another good season, season two. I'm looking forward to when season three happens. I've been reading that they're going to do it um, and whatnot. So just get the ball rolling after all this COVID-19 jazz, you know, settles down, goes away, however you want to talk about that. Um, but we're going we're gonna, to like exclusively talk about the Owen Hart you know, episode, uh, the tragedy that was Owen Hart and that incident, accident and things of that nature. Um, 
because technically WWF at that time was just trying to steal something that WCW was doing with Sting coming from the rafters and all that jazz. So let's put Owen Hart, because we have no idea what the fuck we're going to do with him, into that stupid gimmick. Let's put a mask on him. Let's start having him come from the rafters too, which for that gimmick was kind of stupid in the first place. It made no sense. Um, nope. But just the, just <laughs> the fact that, you know, you, you want to the good old let's let's copy what the other other guys are doing and let's see how it works for us well unfortunately this didn't work because you had some negligence that cost somebody their life so it, it's just uh it's just one of those things because like you know uh, if you like owen or if you didn't like owen if you like the heart foundation didn't like it did make a difference because owen was definitely a different kind of breed of an athlete you know pretty much anything you wanted him to do in the ring he can do um yeah. He was very athletic, uh, very skilled. Um, he knew what he was doing. You know, just not even watching the Dark Side of the Ring episode, you know, watching some other stuff I've watched on him and on YouTube and some other things of that nature of other people um, from Canada and those territories just uh, talk openly and how good he was as a wrestling technician, even before he was even taught how to wrestle. He just picked everything up so quick um, in regards to that. He was very uh, underappreciated, I think. He was very underappreciated. I don't think that a lot correct. of people realized how special he was, and they did kind of talk about it in the dark side of the ring that if he had lived a little bit longer, WWF had guys coming like Eddie Guerrero and Edge and guys that were going to come that probably would have made him, he would have probably you know, capitalized on that. And he probably would have went from that middle tier to the superstar tier. If he would have got to work with those guys, I think so. Undoubtedly. Yeah. Multiple reigns as a champion. And just, uh, you would have seen a lot of like top, uh, top tier matches. I mean, you put him with Kurt Angle or Eddie Guerrero, the way those two guys work with Owen Hart. And I would, that was a spectacular match right there. The Owen Hart Brett match from WrestleMania is still like talked about. Like that's still a match that people like go back and say was you know one of the better matches. Like you know, uh, greatest match ever is a tagline getting thrown around currently. So that's a mm-hmm. you know one of them that people talk about. Like and you know that's one that comes up in conversation. So for those two put on a really good match. So yeah. Well, you got to look at it from this from this point when you're talking about Owen Hart and Bret Hart. Um, one, they both trained in the same place in the dungeon at their home with their dad, Stu. And on top of that, you had Brett, who was probably the most technically sound wrestler that we've ever seen in our lifetime. And then you had Owen Hart, who was like the super athletic, um, you know, version of Brett Hart. Like he was technically sound, but he was like super athletic compared to Brett and Brett with that was athletic to, 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 to boot too. So you got brothers working together that know how to wrestle. They, you know, both are technically sound one more than the other. One's really uh, athletic. They're no, they're going to know how to tell the story in the ring and they're not going to know how to wrestle in the ring, which is something that a lot of us probably agree on is really kind of lost in today's wrestling. And that's what made their match so great is what they were able to do between the wrestling, the storytelling, you know, everything that went on in that match. Yeah, brother versus brother. I mean, another thing, too, with Owen, I think he was, I don't think they knew what to do with him because he was a little ahead of the curve, a little ahead of his time with his his athleticism, the things he can do in the ring. And they really didn't, besides 
Brett, they didn't really have a lot of guys to really put with him in the ring to have good matches and great storylines to begin with. I mean, unless you go back and like watch his whole career, like everything kind of like people remember and center and centers around like the hard foundation and his brother, Brett, like all the other little storylines he has is kind of like, Oh, I kind of remember, but not really. It's like everything that was like successful for him was with the hard foundation going against his brother, things like that. All the other little feuds kind of sort of, but no one really remembers a lot of that stuff, unfortunately, because they didn't have anybody to work with them. Pat, what, what's your take on this, Pat? I mean, a lot of, I mean, it's hard to add to what you guys have already said. Um, but, you know, it's interesting because, you know, unfortunately, I didn't watch as much of Owen Hart when he was alive as I should have. The reason being is that, I mean, I just didn't really watch a lot of WWF after Hulk Hogan left in 1993. Uh, I mean, I would say probably after WrestleMania 10 and 94, I almost totally switched off WWF with like a few exceptions here and there. So, I mean, he has that great match with Brett at WrestleMania 10. And then it seemed like, you know, he feuded with Brett, you know, like for the rest of that year. And it kind of carried on over into the next year in 95. But then, like you kind of said, it seemed like they really didn't know exactly what they were doing with him. Like they couldn't come up with like a good program for him. It was like... They were like, who were the top guys at that point other than his brother? It was like Shawn Michaels and Diesel and Razor Ramon. And Undertaker. Uh, and, and, and Undertaker. And it was like, for whatever reason, they just didn't seem to want to match him up against any of those guys, you know, consistently. So, like, you know, they put him into the tag team with Yokozuna. And they had, and so, and Cornette kind of became his de facto manager then because of that. And then, and, you know, as 95 wore on, well, then they didn't have anything to do with. British Bulldog, so they turn the Bulldog heel, and so now Owen and Davy Boy are teaming up because they're brothers-in-law. But it's also still kind of like while they weren't ever really so much wrestling against Brett at that point, it was still kind of like, well, they're teaming up because they're both mad at Brett, you know? Yeah. Um, and then they, they did finally put him with Michaels. I remember they did that whole angle where, like, after they turned Michaels' face, you know, Owen like knocked him out with the Enziguri, and they made it look like, <laughs> you know, like like Michaels had suffered like. You know, like like a huge concussion, and you know that he was like, you know, it was like it was dangerous for him to never get back in the ring again. But it seems like there was never a payoff for Owen for that. It was just all about building Michaels up for the the Iron Man match at, at WrestleMania 12. And so it, it really felt like Owen didn't really have a lot of good stuff to do again then, until Brett turned heel, and then they reformed mm-hmm. like what I called the Super Heart Foundation. You know, yes. and I right. The Canada Forever Great Heart Foundation. Right. <laughs> In so many ways because of, you know, of course, the way that they, they booked it. And then, you know, the, the whole Canadian Stampede pay-per-view. It's like they might as well have called it Team, team Canada, you know. But, <laughs> you know, then he, got to, then he got to do some good things, you know, with like, with like Austin and, and with Triple H. Um, but then, again, like after the screw job, it really felt like he kind of became – uh, you know, like a second thought again. It's like mm-hmm. he could have been so hot after the screw job because he stayed. And it seemed like I remember I think that he had a match with Triple H. I think it was at WrestleMania 14 where, where Austin won the title and everything. But they didn't really ever seem to follow through with it. It's like I don't know if they felt like the audience didn't like fully get behind him or whatever. But it just seems like they just kind of let him go like, eh. And then they turn him heel again. And so 
it just felt like it never really was clicking the way it should have. And mm-hmm. I really feel like they were, and by saying they, I mean like, you know, the behind the scenes stuff, the creative, whatever. It, it really feels like they weren't utilizing him as well as they could have. It almost really felt like if he had been in WCW during all those years, mm-hmm. yeah, he may have only been in that. He may have been hitting the ceiling too, that like all the cruiserweight guys were hitting in those years. Um, but he might have been having better matches, and he may have been having better storylines too. For all we know, I don't know. But um, you know, the cruiserweight the, the cruiserweight division was getting kind of yeah by the time of like the screw job. So I don't know how he would have fit in if he had been able to leave. But um, yeah, it, it just did seem like they felt Owen had a ceiling and they just really never let him through. It's like after, other than um, the, the match with, with Brett at SummerSlam 94, I really can't remember too many times that he ever wrestled for the WWF championship. And that just, and that just, like he might've wrestled against Michaels after Michaels won it there. I, I really don't remember though. But it just feels like that, that was like a huge missed opportunity in, in a lot of ways. Even if you're not going to put the title on him, he could have gotten a great match out of almost anybody. It's like he could have right. gotten he, he could have had a great match with Steve Austin in '98, obviously. But I mean, after the whole the the pile drive botch at '97 SummerSlam, Austin may not have wanted to work with him. I know Austin always expressed hard feelings, which I understand. Owen totally botched that move, but it, it just feels like in, at the end. Owen's career to me is, you know, it, it was, I think it was great for what it was. I mean, he won a lot of mm-hmm. titles. Um, and the slammies. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's right. You can't forget the slammy. The two time slammy. The two time slammy award winning. But it just, it just feels like, again, that there was, there was so much more that could have been there. And again, like they, like they indicated on, on the special, if he had, if he hadn't died when he did, Maybe there would have been. He was only 34 when he died. I mean, you look at some of the guys, how late they're going now. Surely, again, that they would have, when, like, again, when guys like Kurt Angle and Chris Jericho and the Radicals and Edge and Christian mm-hmm. and the Hardy and all those guys and Rob Van Dam, you know, eventually too, all those types of guys start coming into the company over the span of like 99 to 01. He could have probably had a really good second act if, of course, mm-hmm. They just figured out what to do with them creatively. Like yeah. if, so if let me interrupt. Have... I got to interrupt for something real quick. Okay. I got a public service announcement for all our fans watching. Two One. We want to hear your comments on the dark side of the ring. We want to know what you guys think about the whole Orn Hart dark side of the <laughs> ring episode. So we want you guys okay. to drop a comment. Go to YouTube. Uh, Four Guys um, Roundtable Show is the name of our YouTube channel. Go there. Drop a comment on this video when you have a chance. Also. You got to stay tuned until the end because we are going to have our Mount Rushmore. We're not going to tell you what it is, but it's going to be the Mount Rushmore of something based on this today's episode that uh, you're watching or listening to, wherever you're getting this feed from. All right, go ahead, AJ. Okay, so if if Owen would have not died, we may have gotten to see Owen fight Shawn Michaels again when Michaels came back and that was a different iteration of Michaels and I feel like something special would have happened then. I I, I, I know me and Pat, there's differences with Michaels because Michaels was a dick. 
his first stint in WWE, he was a dick. It was a different version of him the second time around. And I feel like if we would have gotten to see those two, then that probably would have been something special because I think Owen was heading in that direction. And Michael's his, he became that guy when he came back again, that had great matches with everybody. I mean, who didn't he have a good match with after he came back? So, like, it would have been cool to see Owen and Michaels again, like, in that mm-hmm. situation, I think, because I think Owen was one of the guys that could keep up with Michaels athletically and stuff, and WWE didn't have a ton of guys that could keep up with him athletically, I don't think. So, you know, when Michaels retired, I still thought he was better than half the guys on the roster. <laughs> yeah, for the most part, yeah. That is, uh, so that's, that's very one, true. The one thing about the Owen Hart thing for me is I, I, I was like, I think 20, 23, maybe when it happened, I, I remember watching over the edge when it happened. And I was, I was a kid still like, I wasn't really an adult as an adult looking back. WWE should not have <laughs> kept that pay-per-view going. That was a terrible oh God, idea. No. It was like looking back on it now, I I can't believe that they did that. Like his widow said that that was essentially a crime scene. (laughs) So he dies (laughs) and they just push him out of the ring like a pile of crap and wrestle on the mat where there's blood and everything. Like it was, it was a terrible idea. Like I can't believe that they did that. It's, it's one of the things, one of the worst things I think Vince has done in, in the whole time was continuing that pay-per-view after he died. <laughs> well, you can tell, you can tell it's a clusterfuck and it's the most fucked up thing that's happening because during that dark side of the ring, you have Jr. and he's like, he didn't even know how to talk. Like he's like, told, keep going with the show, keep the show going. You know, the show must go on. And he's like, even in his interview, he's like, we should have stopped the show. <laughs> yeah, you're so right. And this is so one of the announcers of the show. He said that like, that was the so worst stupid. moment of his career when he had to announce that Owen Hart died. Here, you have 10 seconds to figure out what you're going to say. Have have fun with this. Yeah, just put it all on here. <laughs> just, just unbelievable. It, it's it's going back to something that that Theo I think had said at at the at the top of this this discussion. Um. It, I mean, it was just so senseless and it was so stupid and it was so unnecessary. They were doing something that was basically, again, like he said, it was it was really, and they I think they believe, I believe they said this on the upside. It was it was to really just parody and make fun, one hundred percent, of what WCW had been doing for over two years at that point was staying with the rappelling down from the ceiling and everything. And it's kind of funny because. There's always, I think, been this this thing in, in wrestling, at least during the Monday Night War era. You know, maybe not so much during like the, like the the '80s territory era, because back then you never acknowledged anybody outside of your own organization. But it seemed like during like the Monday Night War era, it seems like you know there there would always be like hints and and, and allusions going back and forth between the two. I mean, you know, of course, he had all the you know the the billionaire Ted shit, the Nacho all, Man, you know, the, the, the huckster and the Nacho <laughs> Man and scheme. <laughs> And then, and then you had, and then you know, of course, on Nitro you had Bischoff giving away the results of, of, yes. of paper laws, and then, and then obviously the NWO, of course, at first, you know, is is making you think, wait a minute, is this an actual invasion? I remember that's what I thought when I first saw Scott Hall walk out. But me too. Uh, it it always seemed like there there should have always been this thing, like 
when you're on top, like when you when you're the number one company and in, in, in a in a two t- company system, and I'm not, I'm not meaning to disparage just the ECW, but come on, it was always a, a two way. <laughs> so true. <laughs> so it's very true. <laughs> but it seems to me like if you're number one, you shouldn't care about what number two is doing. Like you shouldn't acknowledge that. So WWE didn't, re- or you know, WWF at the time, so of course, didn't really do that. I mean, doing the billionaire Ted stuff and everything was stupid because they were still beating WCW at that time. Mm-hmm. Bischoff giving away the results of Raw made sense because Nitro was trying to establish themselves and establish an identity. So it's like I get why they were doing that. They were taking pot shots at the one that's ahead of them. But here we are in May of '99, though, when this is going on, it's not the war's not over. But it's really at the point where it's almost over because I think when WCW really stopped being competitive was a couple months, you know, before that. And I think it was from like early 99 on where WWF just continually stopped WCW in, into non-existence two years later. But so my whole point is, why are you even bothering parodying something with the company that you're now once again stopping and have turned back into the number two company? Was it spite? Was it just trying to say, oh, don't watch them because they're still doing this stuff after two years and it's ridiculous now? But oh, come it, on, Pat. It, Darth Pat, let's be honest. We know Vince McMahon is a spiteful bastard. All right. <laughs> Look at some of the stuff he's done recently. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, without a doubt. I mean, we, we can see that with some of the other shit that he's done over the year, like the like that JR skit, you know, with the. You know, pulling barbecue you know, pulling, sauce. Well, pulling all the stuff out of his ass, you know. Like, but you know, but it's like again, did, did Vince come up with that spot? Because that's the thing that I think is still a bit of a mystery to this day. Nobody's come right out and said, "Oh, hey, that was my idea." Understandably, why? I mean, a lot of I wouldn't want to admit it either if it was my <laughs> idea. Fuck. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, 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 I obviously wanted. I mean, a lot of people, I think, have wanted to point the finger at, at Vince Russo because, you know, he was more or less like, you know, the head writer at the time and everything. Mm-hmm. And maybe it was a Russo idea. It certainly kind of kind of fits with other shit that we saw Russo do. And it's the only thing that Russo won't take credit for while he was there at WWF. We definitely know that Vince Russo will do something just to spite somebody. <laughs> the brawl yeah. for all, so... Yeah, so I mean, it's that's that's what the real tragedy is of it is that again, it, it it didn't have to happen, it didn't need to be done, you know. Again, he he was he was in the mid card at the time. He was in a mid card feud. It's like yes, he was gonna he was wrestling for and was I believe was supposed to win the Intercontinental Title that night, but again, it's like this isn't your main thing. Why you know why are you putting so much effort into something? It's like. Really, what what what's really the payoff here? I mean, it's I mm-hmm. I I don't think there was there's one zero either. payoff for any of that stuff. Yeah. Zero. None. And then like like you guys said, I mean, to have the show continue, it's like on one hand, okay, I can understand why Vince wants to continue the show. I mean, there's a lot of reasons for that. The fact money, though that money, money, money. <laughs> I mean, that's that's one thing, but it's. It's like these people were all witnesses to it. The people who were inside the arena. I mean, the people watching at home didn't really know what was going on other than what they were being told from JR. But the people who were inside the ring witnessed it. Now, I've never actually watched that show. 
I will be the first to admit that I never watched that show. I've never put it on on the network or anything. I know I've read like when I've read like 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 reviews of it at the time. Everybody to the to a T pretty much says that afterwards the crowd was dead. Like the main event of that night was Undertaker beating Stone Cold for the title, and nobody cared. No, you no had, don't give yeah. a shit about any other match after that. Right. And why would title change? It's like legit with Austin, you know, with Austin, like you know, the super babyface losing, but nobody gave a shit because they witnessed a guy die for Christ's sake. <laughs> so the fact that Vince and nobody else around him had the sense to go, shit, we need to stop this, you know, because nobody's gonna even be into the show. If we have to give refunds, oh well, we have to give refunds. But like Martha said on the documentary as well, where the hell were the police? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the police just come in and say, um, "You just had somebody fall 60, 80, whatever the hell, however many feet it was to his death. We need to. We have. We, if this is now a crime scene, we have to investigate. What, what, what's what's Vince going to do? Is he is he going to bribe the cops? I mean, he probably would have tried. <laughs> he uh, could have. <laughs> Like yeah. guys, I have a couple hundreds here. Uh, let's uh, let's wait till after the yeah. show, please. Hey, I mean, <laughs> if you watch the Jimmy Snuka uh, episode from this season of Dark Side of the Ring, you know there was the allegation that he did something there, and of course that was right here in our neck of the woods. Uh, you know, from for uh, for me and Jeremy, you know where we live. Um, Valley. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's it's. It's it's a senseless tragedy that again didn't need to happen, and and here's the kind of ironic thing like I, I think i said i've always went through like kind of cycles with with watching mm-hmm. and at that point in time i wasn't really watching i don't think either show for whatever reason i think my interest right. adjusted to me elsewhere i mean it was my senior year of high school so i was probably more concerned with other things but i remember my dad coming up into my room that night and saying owen hart died tonight at the pay-per-view and i was just like yeah, you know, I just I didn't know what to say, and I actually watched Raw the next night, mm-hmm. and that kind of sort of actually ended up getting me a little bit interested in WWF again at the time. It took it took it took until I got to to, to college later that fall and everything to to really kind of start watching them again regularly. But I, I find that kind of chillingly ironic that it took Owen's death for me to turn WWF on again. <laughs> Just yeah, just 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 a, just kind of a weird coincidence. But I think it was mostly I, I just wanted to see what they were going to do to honor Owen's life. And the problem is, of course, that I think that was a truly special night of of Raw of the following night. Mm-hmm. But also one of those things that you'll never hear them talk about anymore. And that's because they really can't do anything to promote him anymore in any way, shape, or form. Which. I think should be the next thing we talk about, which is the current state of things between the organization and Martha. Yes. And before we get to that real quick, remember the end of our show, people, the end of our show is all about the Mount Rushmore. We're going to release the first Mount Rushmore on this episode. So please stay tuned until the very end. You do not want to miss it. It's going to be great. So as Pat was saying, current state of Owen Hart, it's, it's nuts. Like, and she has every right to be mad. I think it's absolutely fucked up that she, when she sued the WWF uh, at that point in time, 
that her family, the Hart family, and all the, you know, everybody that was associated with the Hart family was pretty much against her and like trying to sabotage her whole case. And because they wanted, they didn't want to mess up their bread being buttered by, you know, and did any of them ever come out of it besides Davy Boy Smith's son? I don't know of any hearts that have wrestled since Owen Behards besides Davy Boy Smith. And well, Natalia, I'm sorry, Natalia is the one exception. And Davy Boy Smith's son didn't last very long in WWE, from what I can remember. It was pretty short lived. No, so, that was that was pretty sad, like watching that and seeing like, you know, Owen's family members go into her house and stealing documentation and stealing shit from her, so she didn't have it for the lawyers and stuff like that. It's like, you know, they were so they were so afraid. Uh, it seemed like they were so afraid of Vince McMahon, and they're they were afraid of losing like. We don't want to piss him off because he pays us good money. We're the Owen family, the Owen Hart, you know, they're the Hart family, sorry. And, you know, if we go anywhere else, we're going to get paid X amount of dollars. But if we go to WWF, Vince is like, oh, you know, he's going to give us more money. We can do jobber <laughs> shit. He's going to pay us good to be a jobber. But it's just kind of <laughs> shitty jobbers. for like, you know, I mean, I mean, listen, all of his other brothers were legit jobbers. That's all. That's, that's <laughs> besides the two of them. All they mm-hmm. did was fuck jobbers. Even the Survivor Series where it was like the Hart family against – I remember who the fuck they wrestled against. Oh, I remember that. That was a travesty. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you yeah. know, I mean, it's just it's just sad to, to see that happen. Like what influ- – I don't want to assume things, but what influence did Vince have on those brothers where, you know, those brothers had to – those family members had to go to her house, you know, and steal shit um, for her case against WWF. This is kind of like – and just seeing it and just seeing like – the evidence she had of the hook that he was wearing. That hook was a piece of shit. There's no way you're, you're putting yeah. that type of hook on a guy. They caught corner. And, they caught yeah, corner. I mean, they went cheap. So. And, and, oh, yeah. It should have been a cantilever, uh, like, screw thing that, like, uh, guys use for uh, climbing rocks and stuff and, and like, yeah. repelling. Like, that I was mean, not it, what they used. <laughs> and, and they're so worried about, like, how he looked. But yet, you know, even Sting. Sting, you know, when he Two was doing, like – he he was he just want you know it looked bulky you see him coming down from the rafters he has big jacket on so who cares about the bulkiness but like he would take it off and take him a little bit but you know he wanted to make sure when he's fucking being propelled that he's not gonna fucking <laughs> fall to his death and shit really so, it's like two two or three seconds you're talking about it's not like you're talking about a minute of like if it was five minutes but it was like seconds like they went they went cheap for seconds <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah, it made no sense. Well, that was the whole thing again because he was doing the blue blazer gimmick again, but instead of playing it more or less straight the way they did the first time he did the blue blazer back then, it was like 88, 89. You know, he was doing it like in a parodic manner, which is which is fine because the, the blue blazer is not going to work as a gimmick in 1999. You know, in the middle of, in the middle of like the Jerry Springer reality era, the Attitude era of wrestling, yeah. you know. Yeah, the 80s gimmick in the and, 90s, late 90s at that. Right. Again, it's like they, they did this. To, they wanted it to do this like a whole quick release thing. So he'd be hit, taking a, a pratfall out of the thing. And that is really how you know that. I, I'm hesitant to use the word the negli- negligence here, but it, it, I mean, it was because I don't really mm-hmm. know what other word you can use because you're right. Pat. You can say, well, the idea to have to do the pratfall, I mean, like, well, there's some value in that. And it's like, yeah, okay, but in order for him to be able to do this pratfall coming down from the thing, you know, he's got to do it in such a way that 
again, they said, you know, with how little pressure that thing had to have applied to it, I say you're you're risking his life from the start. Then, if he didn't have a way to be able to do that safely, then it wasn't worth doing it. So that's that's the problem there. And then, you know, when you talk about the Hart family and everything, yeah, like you, you mentioned this, the '93 Survivor Series match. Yeah, it was it was Bruce and Keith Hart, and Bruce Hart um, was the one who was originally supposed to get Owen's spot. Like he was supposed to be the brother to turn on Brett, but Brett convinced Vince to make it Owen. So that was always something that I found interesting. That was kind of, I guess, kind of shows you maybe how little Vince thought of Owen at the time. Don't know. They were both but... jobbers. Those other two were jobbers, both of them. They they weren't well, anything. Well, yeah, Bruce Hart, if you read Bret Hart's book, I, he he kind of went after his brother Bruce like a few times, I think, for overcomplicating things or having like a, a, a higher value of himself. Like Keith Hart, I think, was basically more or less retired at that point. Like he had wrestled back in Stampede. But I don't think he was really intending to be a full-time wrestler again in 93. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, again, w- the family, like, stealing her shit and everything, like, her, her, her legal documents. You know, at the time when it happened, Dave Boy and Neidhart were both unemployed. Like, WCW had even both chewed them up and spit them out mm-hmm. after they came over with Brett, more or less, you know, after the screw job by that point. And it was, like, almost immediately, I believe, again, this was all in, like, Brett's book. They're like, you know, immediately cutting interviews with television outlets saying, oh, it was just an accident. It was nobody's fault, you know, blah, blah, blah. And that infuriated Brett <laughs> yeah. because he's saying like, you know, Owen's body isn't cold and you're angling to get jobs again with Vince. And, you know, you're you're really pissing me off. It, it, it kind of felt like Brett was the only one who who at least. Seemingly to a point, and I have not read Martha Hart's book. It's probably something I should probably check out. But it seems like at the time, Brett was the only one who was really standing by her. And then this is something that unfortunately they didn't get into in the documentary. And there's been some stuff that kind of went online when it came out. You know, mm-hmm. something happened between Martha and Brett, and we don't really know what for sure. Martha seemed to say that Brett was upset that when she got her settlement, it didn't include Brett getting like uh you know the rights to use any wwe footage and brett came out with a statement saying that that was not the case but he refused to comment any further which unfortunately has just kind of leaves you with a with a big mystery but it, it is very sad that the heart you know some of the heart family whoever it was you know whether it was yeah. like you know Jim Hart's wife or, or Davy Boy Smith's wife you know Diana whoever the hell it was it doesn't matter who it was but the fact that they did that to this woman is really terrible because you know you, you really alienated her and I guess maybe it was a sense because Owen was the youngest brother and because she never Martha meaning you know she was never really into wrestling the mm-hmm. way that everybody else in the family basically was that they felt like she was an outsider and it's like, I mean, it's, 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 it's really kind of heartbreaking and yeah, you, you get that sense. And what I was really also happy that to, to see the documentary do was that they did talk to his children. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, absolutely. Because it was great to see that despite growing up without a father, they looked like they were pretty successful, well-adjusted people. You know, mm-hmm. I can't imagine what that would be like, especially, you know, his daughter, she was, what, like three at the time? Um, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just horrible. But I remember reading several years ago 
unfortunately I can't remember like what website it was on and who it was that was being interviewed, but they were being asked about Owen Hart and they were being asked about Owen's son, Oge. And whoever it was that was being interviewed was expressing like dismay, I guess, that Martha excuse me, that Martha wants nothing to do with the wrestling business because they were saying like, oh well O should be around the boys and everything. And I just especially after watching Why? the documentary, why? Why should Oge be around the boys? Now, look, it wasn't obviously any wrestler that killed Owen. Right. But it's like, why should Oge give a shit about the wrestling business? Well, and I think it's... I think it's I just, so I just thought that was a dumbass comment. And especially after watching the documentary, it's like, dude, let, if Oge wants to come to wrestling shows, he will. Let yeah. him be himself. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. And I think we can all agree on this point is that his wife, Martha, his kids, Oj, and I, I can't remember his daughter's name. Uh, what was it? Athena. Athena. I think it's really cool that they have put their foot down. They own all the rights to Owens, all his likelihoods and all that stuff. And they put their foot down and said, he, WWE doesn't get any of his shit. He's not going to the Hall of Fame. His kids don't want him in the Hall of Fame because they don't want the WWE and Vince McMahon to be able to glorify the tragedy that is his death on their watch. I agree with that too. And I think that's absolutely awesome. I do too. Because why should WWE? I mean, we, we all have watched WWE. We're all big wrestling fans. You know, sometimes we fall off the boat like I have recently, like Pat, uh, Darth Pat has, but ultimately we, it, we are all wrestling fans and I don't see the, the right of the WWE and Vince McMahon to be able to put, Owen Hart out there. We all know how great of a wrestler he was. Um, you know, I think we can all agree that he had some pretty good gimmicks that he created, not that the WWE created for him. Um, you know, when they allowed him to be himself, and you know, I think any wrestling fan can take that away as a memory and say he del- he he is a Hall of Famer, even if he's never in the Hall of Fame. Agree. Yeah. I w- yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I I will tell you. I was always firmly in the, oh, come on, just let him go in the Hall of Fame camp because I felt like, I mean, he belongs, he's deserving, you know, and it would be a nice moment for the fans. After watching that documentary, I'll never say that again. Absolutely. Me neither. (laughs) And and the reason being is that we're, we're fans, yes. That's all we are. We're just fans. We mm-hmm. don't have any rights to any of these people beyond being their fans. We we don't have ownership of them. You know, we can bitch about what they do inside the ring or this or that. But you know what? They don't owe us anything. And again, because like she even said, there is no actual like physical Hall of Fame. I mean, maybe she kind of almost implied that maybe she'd have a different attitude. Like if there was like an actual real physical Hall of Fame that you could go visit I kind of mm-hmm. doubt it, though, but it sounds like maybe she's saying that. Um, but again, yeah, we all went to WrestleMania last year and, you know, we were in the, you know, the, the pro shop at, uh, at MetLife Stadium. And, you know, one of the items they had was like, you know, like the Hall of Fame shirt. And they had like the pictures of all the people who were being inducted into the Hall of Fame on it. So obviously that I'm sure that's got to be something then that they do every year having only been to one wrestlemania yeah. since it yeah, is i do right so if he were to go into the hall of fame they'd want to put his face on the shirt so 
again, they'd be profiting off of it. You yeah. know, they profit. They like you said, they profit off of it just by inducting him because they can sell tickets to the event just by saying, "Hey, Owen Hart's one of the guys that's being inducted." They can sell, you know, the program to you know USA to broadcast whatever portion of it uh, on mm-hmm. USA the network by saying, "Owen Hart's being inducted." Yeah. Um, so she's got every right to say no, no effing way. And the fact, the, the fact that really <laughs> cinched, though, the, the fact that really cinched, though for me too to have the you know, to to really change my mind is the fact that Oj was so adamant about it too. Oh yeah, yeah. you can tell. You can tell he's very, he definitely very much is. Yeah, because you could always maybe think, well, maybe there's a possibility that you know maybe his kids will want and they'll convince their mother to change their mind, blah blah blah. But he was, I think he was more had stronger feelings about it than, than Martha she did. does. Yeah. And and so if that's the case, then yeah, it's like, you know, let 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 them be, let them let them run that foundation, which sounds like it does a lot of great stuff. And you know, just just um sorry 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 fans, you're gonna just gonna have to deal without Owen Hart in the hall and being listed in the Hall of Fame. You know, if you want to mm-hmm. call him go right ahead, because we all know that he was. But you're just gonna have to deal without like some kind of like ceremony putting him into it. Yeah. And it's, and it's it's the only right thing it's the right thing to do is not is not do it. All right. Real quick fans, don't forget, in a couple minutes comes the Mount Rushmore portion of our show, which is going to essentially be the end of our show this week, will be the Mount Rushmore. Please stay tuned. Only a couple minutes away. Theo, do we want to do final thoughts now on the dark side of the ring, Owen Hart? <laughs> yeah, let's, let's go ahead and do that. Um, so just for like my take of it, you know, I mean, it's it's pretty simple. Um, uh, I like what Vice is doing with the dark side of the ring series. Uh, I'm glad Jericho has, you know, a, a, a part of it as well. Um, you know, you, we see the positive sides of pro wrestling. It's it's good, and we see negative sides, but I like how in depth they go with some of these situations. Because you know, as fans, we read the dirt sheets, and half the time the dirt sheets are 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 what they are. It's fucking dirt sheets. It's it's shit. It's not even half. It's not even true. Three quarters of it's not so even it's, fucking true. It's the shit sheets. <laughs> it's the shit sheets. It legitimately is. So it's it's good because Vice. First of all, I like Vice in general because they, I I feel that they do a lot of good you know programming for things like this. Um, and to have somebody in the wrestling business that cares like Jericho does, uh, it's good to have. He has a hand in it. Um, just like final thought, it's just like, listen, you know, we all know he's a Hall of Famer. He's never going to be in the WWE Hall of Fame. Um, but it doesn't matter at this point anymore. Um, you know, his wife and kid have all the all the say and everything. And, and you know, I, I'm for them. You know, my only thing is, like, if they – if I was Martha, the only way I would let him into the WWE Hall of Fame is like they have that foundation that they do. I'd be like, mm-hmm. you have to give me every single cent of every single <laughs> fucking piece of merchandise that has his fucking name or likeness <laughs> on it. Anything if you, if you sell one billion dollars of his shit, that comes to me and goes right to my foundation to do what I do for that. Um, and even like if they promote it on TV, it's like, hey motherfucker, give me fifteen percent of what you just made on that fucking TV commercial because that's going right towards the foundation too. But that's just me being a little greedy and being an asshole, being a prick towards events and parts of that. But with that being said, no, no, I, you know, it's 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 a it's just a tragic thing for someone who had to uh, pass away way too early uh, in his career. Go for it, guys. 
I'm I'm good. I I I said what I needed to say. So I mean, I I like I like that series too because WWE doesn't have any hand in it. They can't, you know, say, "Oh, you're gonna put this on. You can't put this on." Like <laughs> I I like I like the fact that it's, it's just like I've I tell everybody that my favorite book is the Bret Hart book because WWE had nothing to do with that. They didn't say. This this passes the test. You can put this in the book. He wrote that completely without their, you know, bidding essentially. So I, I like that show just because it, it has no ties to WWE. So we can we get what's maybe the truth, I think, in some stuff. So <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. I, I didn't really like Owen Hart as a wrestler. So I but I you know, I appreciated him and it sounds like he was a really good person backstage. It sounds like, you know, he was a prankster and that was like the thing everybody always talks about with him is that he was always ribbing people and always pulling pranks backstage. So it sounds like that was actually the best part of him was the backstage version of him. Like Jarrett, the rock, all these people have said over and over how funny he was and how, you know, his charisma, it wasn't always on the TV. I think a lot of it was backstage. I, I think we never got to see most of it. So true and just when you thought fans that aj nitro you'll find out talks a lot like he has diarrhea of the mouth sometimes we thought he wasn't say anything but still had something to say which is on par for aj <laughs> he does talk a lot from time to time i mean pat all, all the time tonight so, that's just that's just yeah insane. pat talked the most tonight so it's darth pat that's a rarity i felt like i've kind of been talking a little too much but yeah I mean, there's, with that poster different... hanging from the top of your ceiling uh, behind you, I mean, you might have been really excited tonight to uh, actually talk <laughs> uh, talk to everybody. So, I mean, you're you're good. Let's let's keep it going, buddy. Well, you know, when it when it comes to wrestling, for whatever reason, I I, I seem to be more interested in the history because you know, like I've you know recently read like the Nitro book, the Death of WCW book, and I also read the the Death of the Territories book recently. So it's just you know, it's really just kind of you know interesting to to see like the history of the of, of the the business and everything but as far as a final thought this is something that wasn't in the documentary itself but came out as the documentary was airing several weeks ago is the inability of wwe to just as they say take the l because <laughs> jerry jerry mcdevitt who's a longtime wwe lawyer and i'm sure he's great at what he does you know because he's, his job is to represent that company mm-hmm. The comments that he made following some things that Martha, I guess, had said, I believe it was on Jericho's podcast, just really show a complete lack of tact and just a callousness that is really hard to believe, to be honest. It's, um, I mean, Martha had some, not some very nice things to say about Brett, you know, as far as why they don't have a relationship. Brett gave like a really small statement but basically didn't want to elaborate on it didn't want to comment on it didn't Mm -hmm. go and portray himself or martha in a negative light took the high road jerry mcdevitt comes out with this long ass winded statement accusing her of like the thing accusing her of trying to you know promise part of the settlement to you know owen's siblings which he claims is illegal i don't know the law i have no clue but when he claimed that martha was not interested in finding out what really happened that night. <laughs> I don't like, that 
there's only one way you could ever respond to somebody who says that to a widow. Fuck you. <laughs> I mean, just admit you're wrong. You're, you're allowed to be wrong. Like, it, it would have been easier if they would have just taken the owl. Right. How fucking much of a piece of shit do you have to be to fucking say that? Even 21 years later. It's like, Jesus Christ. So, just, I mean, that, that should tell you a lot, unfortunately, about, you know, Jerry McDevitt and what, what he does. And I understand he's been great at some of these live shows with Bruce Pritchard over the years, but when he, when he made, like, an appearance or two. But it's like, wow, that's just... No, don't do that. Just, just, just shut up. Take, you know, maybe just take the high road. Just decline comment. I mean, if you just decline comment, nobody's going to think any differently of you because you're not going to come out of this looking good. Everybody blames you for it as it is. So if you're going to yep. respond to comments like that, you're going to do one of two things. You know, you can you can make no comment and nobody will have changed their opinion about you, or you can say something that's going to make them lower your opinion of you, and that's exactly what you did. So. <laughs> You know, it's 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 sad again that even after all these years and paying out a settlement, they basically are still acting like it was not their fault, and that's that's just not right. Like Schnitzky, like Schnitzky, it wasn't my fault. <laughs> that's one of the I've ever gotten to meet in person, man. So. <laughs> all right. So my final thoughts. Um, like Theo, I absolutely love the Dark Side of the Ring series. I think it's great, and I've watched every single one of them, even about people I had no idea who the hell they were. Uh, so I actually thoroughly enjoy it. Um, Owen Hart's is probably my favorite next to Jimmy Snuka's, uh, just because Jimmy Snuka's was so close to home for me. Um, but yeah, I thought it was great. There was one thing I wish they would have showed some footage of just because I really enjoyed this character that Owen Hart did. And that was the Nugget character when he was part of Nation of Domination in the caution tape suit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it was a cheesy gimmick, but it was just funny to hear him say, I'm not a Nugget. Like almost every time on TV, it, was, it just made me laugh. Because uh, that's when I had gotten back into wrestling because The Rock and Stone Cold were so huge and uh, being a big rock mark that I am for wrestling. Um, so yeah, I, I love it. I think there were some really good stuff in that particular documentary, um, that just brings light to a subject that we know WWE is never going to talk about, um, because they don't ever want to shed a negative light on themselves. Hence why you don't ever hear about Chris Benoit, who is AJ's favorite wrestler of all time. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, just kidding, AJ. We know he's, you absolutely despise that guy. Um, but yeah, so I think it's great. Um, so that brings us to our, end of our show and all our fans that have been waiting for the very end. We are now to the Mount Rushmore and what this Mount Rushmore is going to be. It's the very first Mount Rushmore. So I'm super excited about it, but it is all about wrestlers whose careers ended too early due to their passing. So we all have one person that we're going to add to the Mount Rushmore since it's four heads. we got four guys. We're just going to take somebody that we believe career ended way too soon due to their passing. And we're going to kick it off with Darth Pat. Well, this is a topic where, unfortunately, we could probably do about six or seven Mount Rushmores. True. Uh, True. We're only doing one. Yeah. (laughs) It's nature of the business, unfortunately, as we all know. I went back and forth with like a lot of guys who I could think of. You know, there's David Von Erich, 
there's Gino Hernandez, but for both and both guys who were featured in season one of Dark Side of the Ring. But for both of those guys, you know, they both passed before I really became a wrestling fan, and I never got to see them wrestle, you know, while they were alive or anything. The guy I'm picking, though, is also a guy who, believe it or not, I actually did not see wrestle that much while he was alive. And that is the one and only Flying Brian Pillman. Nice. The reason for that is that when he was first making an impact in WCW, like, you know, late 80s into the early 90s there, I think we had, like, the single worst cable TV provider in the world because we didn't get TBS. I always remembered seeing, you know, like looking through TV Guide and seeing like what TBS was showing and saying, yeah, they show a lot of good shows. Why the hell do I not see TBS? So the only way I knew about WCW was through buying like the wrestling magazines and the stores and everything. And so Pillman was the, you know, was somebody who was always talked off about. And I saw like, you know, like highlights, you know, sometimes here and there. And so, dude, the high flying style, you know, you're going to instantly get, a, you know, attracted to that and everything. And I remember seeing the magazine like when he first turned heel where he was saying like I, I it was one of the wrestling mags and it said, you know, Brian Pillman shocks the world, tells fans they can go to hell. And even though I never really watched him regularly, I remember looking at it and just being shocked because it was like I thought this was the type of guy who would just never turn heel, you know, but I should have known better because of Shawn Michaels a few months before that. Um, but so so Pillman, obviously, he, he was a tremendous innovator. Um you know, with with all the high flying moves, the classic matches with Jushin Liger, but then you know he had, I guess you could almost say like a transition in his career, where he did the loose cannon character. And to me, the loose cannon character, I think, was really one of the most revolutionary, ahead of its time characters that's ever been there. Like mm-hmm. you know, it's like he's got a gun. Yeah, that's like, but but the way he acted, like you that know, was a crazy he, segment too. The way way that he acted crazy, that he could like, you know, kind of like go from one to another, like the drop of a hat. Uh, When I briefly wrote in a a column for a wrestling website and I reviewed the DVD that WWE put out about Pillman, I said he was really like the closest thing ever that wrestling had had to the Joker because he was completely unpredictable. He did and said whatever he wanted. He didn't care who he pissed off. He was willing to mess with anybody, you know, the whole you know, I respect you, Booker Man thing with Kevin Sullivan. Um, and so his life, you know, of course, very tragic. He has that horrible car accident, which pretty much negated all his high flying moves. Like he was never going to be able to be the high flyer again after that because they had to fuse his ankle. Mm-hmm. And then, look, I'm not going to say he was doing like recreational drugs, but he was probably doing like painkillers and shit. Yeah, you know, which a lot of them were doing at that time. I mean, yeah. it is what it is to get through the their their schedule. Right. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if somebody said, "Oh, yeah, he was a coke addict." You know, and I'm not disparaging his character. I, I don't care if he did, but like everybody else, he was probably doing the painkillers, and I think that's probably what killed him. So, and again, when he was when he died, it's like he was in that program again. He was in the Heart Foundation. He was doing that program with Goldust. It was probably gonna have a good payoff, but again, it was just it would have been really, really interesting to see where he was going to continue to take that character, especially as they were like not quite into the attitude era when he passed away in 1997, you know, they were just about there. They could have done so much more with that in the actual attitude era that it's, it's really a shame that, you know, we didn't get to see it. 
I'm happy to see that his son's like wrestling now and supposedly, you know, mm-hmm. is up and coming. I haven't seen him, but hey, if he inherited any of his father's skills, that'd be that'd be awesome. But you know, Flying Brian to me is um he's kind of to me, I think he was almost like the original wrestling tragedy for me, even even more so than like the Von Erics or like anybody else who died prematurely, like like Dino Bravo or like anybody like that, because he was the first guy that I can really remember who was actively wrestling and then he just was that not there anymore. So Yeah. All right. Theo, who is your head for Mount Rushmore? So so my guy is um growing up when I started watching wrestling, you know, uh back in the eighties because I'm fucking old as shit. Um you know, all the guys that were <laughs> we're all old except I'm the, for Pat. I'm the second oldest here in this group, I think. So I'm about to call myself old as shit. Yes, you are, son. Uh, God damn it. Um, uh, That's why he's wearing that, folks. It's to hide the gray. <laughs> uh, Just recent, had, recently had a birthday, too, even. Uh, okay, slow your rolls with that. <laughs> I'm wearing my hat because it's the time of it's night we're cold. doing this i'm not having a great hair day so um you know, i'm just putting a little you know little hat on i mean i did shave for you guys you know see i got rid of the stubble on my cheeks here and underneath so you know i shaved to make myself look more presentable tonight um it's been in almost three months i did not make myself presentable for you i mean i have more hair in my head and in my face than the three of you guys have all together right now okay <laughs> I could shave my beard off and give it to Jeremy over here and it'd be like a, he, he could part it on one side and, you know, you know, get a little fancy haircut going on there. Um, I like my hair. Thank you. <laughs> and fuck off. <laughs> um, okay. Okay. Uh, so I picked, um, I picked Kerry Von Eric. Um, like his wrestling, the type of guy he was, um, his gimmick, it was just different. We all know Vince, like the big muscular, like bodybuilding dudes. But that was like, mm-hmm. that was kind of like those type of guys back in the eighties. Um, and there was something different about him from kind of being from the South, being left-handed. I don't know. It was just something really different about him that caught my eye. Um, and growing up, you know, um, before I went from living in Chicago to, to moving to Pennsylvania, you know, um, I used to, you know, talk to my cousin a lot and she was a, she was a big wrestling fan, um, as well. So of course she's a girl and she sees this bodybuilding dude with long blonde hair. Of course she's going to like fucking carry Von Eric goddamn women. Um, but with that being said, that was one of her favorite wrestlers and it was, it was mine too. Um, I just think, you know, he, he had charisma, make skills, ah, you know, so, so whatever. But he had the build, he had the look, he had the talent, um, he knew how to wrestle. There was just something different about him, you know. Um, he liked, it was kind of like, um, I don't want to say, it was just kind of one of those guys where he wrestled. He's just, uh, he had really enthusiasm in the ring when he was wrestling, uh, very athletic. And it's just uh, sad, you know, reading, you know, seeing his um, Dark Side of the Ring episode. Um, and kind of figuring out when, like, you're growing up as your kid, you see this dude wrestling, and then all of a sudden you don't see him as much. And then in the late 80s, he's kind of gone, kind of comes back, has a little run, and then come to find out he's in an accident, um, fucks up his hip, fucks up his ankle. Um, then he starts to, you know, try to come back to wrestling too soon. Um, and then all the other demons he had with other stuff going on in his life, um, 
wrestling on his foot too soon and then having that amputated and keeping it that from, was crazy keeping it from vince keeping it from all the wrestlers um for the most part except for i think i read that you know piper said one time i uh, i read something from him that you know him, him those two used to talk a lot and um you know when they were on the road you know uh, von eric was just cool with just uh letting loose with piper and didn't care about his prosthetic foot and you know hit it from a lot of people except for a couple and piper was one of them um but you know just to have to go through that and and just wrestling on a prosthetic like no one was doing that back then you know uh, and just you really didn't see that much of a difference in his in-ring performance when he was wrestling with his prosthetic foot, to be honest. Like, I really didn't pay attention too much. But I just thought he was somebody who could have, you know, with his demons and getting injured and other stuff, he could have had, you know, a good career. You know, I wouldn't say he would have been a great superstar, but he was just somebody that I thought could have been, you know, that higher than mid-car and been in a couple, you know, you know, heavyweight title uh, fights and whatnot. I mean, he won a couple of heavyweight belts, I believe, you know, in the NWA. I think he beat Harley Race uh, for the NWA heavyweight title. And then he had the Intercontinental yeah. title in WWF, I believe. He actually beat Rick Flair for the NWA title. I was a Flair. I had matches with Harley Flair. Race as well. So it's probably uh, right. Probably was. He uh, was. I liked him too. I liked him too. I just watched. Because I've been watching stuff from around then. I just watched like the Survivor series where he was with on the Ultimate Warriors team. Yeah. And I watched yeah. him beat Mr. Perfect at SummerSlam. I liked him a lot too, Joe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean it was it was cool. Like, wasn't that uh him, Ultimate Warrior, and was it the L Legion of Doom uh, yeah. was on the yeah, team? I, well I actually told my wife that that was one of the best like Survivor series teams ever. <laughs> so Oh yeah, I mean <laughs> that that was cool too because they they called the team they, the team name was the Warriors because he had the Ultimate Warrior. Kerry Von Erich had used the nickname the Modern Day Warrior in World Class, and the Road and the, Warriors. The LD, of course, were the Road Warriors, and supposedly that was how they came up with the Ultimate Warrior name because it was like he wasn't the Road Warrior, he wasn't the Modern Day Warrior, he's Ultimate Warrior. So we just was cool my favorite. That was like my favorite. That was one of my. I, I'm not trying to steal your thunder, Joe. I just. That no, was that's my fine. favorite survivor. That was my favorite Survivor Series team ever. That 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 those four guys together. So I you actually a, got you had a lot I, of character I, on that team. Yeah, I actually I actually got to meet Kerry Von Eric once. Uh, nice. Way back in 1992, he came, he did a, an autograph signing and appearance at the uh, Plainfield Township Firehouse. You know, just up the road from uh, from where I live, and. You know, he seemed like, you know, he was a really nice guy. He was smiling. He was happy. And, you know, unfortunately, it was about a year before he died. And, you know, I remember finding that out in one of the one of the wrestling magazines. And when I read mm-hmm. that, it was suicide, yeah. too. It was really hard. non-internet era. Yeah. 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 All right. AJ, do you want to go next or you want me to go next? No, I'll go. All right. Go for it. My, my Mount Rushmore heads, Eddie Guerrero. So, um, he's... The theme with me today is I'm we're dealing with people I didn't particularly like, but Eddie Guerrero was like really good at what he did. And I think I liked him more like after he died, I read his book and I respected him more because I realized at that point he had kind of like exercised his demons per se, but he was just too far gone at that point, essentially. Like he had actually tried to get himself out of that situation but I think they just, his past just came back to get him eventually, but he had like went out of his way and worked hard to get out of that situation and just caught up with him. But he was, 
he was really good in the ring and he did a lot of good things. He, he actually had a long career, but he still, there was more to come. There was still more to come with him. So he was, he was special. Like he was really special. Even like I said, even though I didn't particularly like him, he was really good at what he did. He had all the, the intangible stuff that you need. He good charisma. He was good on the mic. He could wrestle. He could pretty much do all of it. So he just, he beat Brock Lesnar when I didn't want him to beat Brock Lesnar. So I didn't really like him <laughs> at that point. So he was so. one of those guys who could have had like, he, he had that first, second, third and fourth act. He could have had multiple acts like reinventing himself as a wrestler. He, he did. seemed really he, good he was, at doing that for himself. He was special. And his book, his book was very good. When I, don't really particularly like somebody then I read their book and I like them. Maybe I missed the boat on that one a little bit. You know, some of that's my fault probably. So, but I'm here. You guys all know me. If I don't like the guy, I don't like him. Usually there's not a lot of middle ground <laughs> with me. So that's more than half of your wrestling wrestlers right now, guys. So just put it that way. Um, I, I thought I always thought the really interesting thing with Eddie was like, if you look at like the last two years of his career there, you know, they, they gave him the uh, the singles run after they broke away from Chavo. They put the title on him and they really turned him into like, like you know, like the super top baby face. And then, you know, after like, you know, he, he lost the belt and he uh, did a few more programs or everything. Then they turned him back into just like the ultimate scumbag heel with the whole, you know, Rey Mysterio and, and Dominic angle and everything. So that just right there showed you just how versatile he was because, you know, he went from being you know, like the happy-go-lucky guy who came out of the lowrider was always smiling and laughing, and the fans loved him. And then you remember he they like slowed his theme music down. He stopped using the lowrider. He'd come out to the ring walking really slowly with a huge frown on his face and just scowling at everybody. And they hated him so much. And I think the other thing too was I think they pretty much said that they were about to put the title back on him, like he was going to mm-hmm. probably be Batista. You're welcome, Rey Mysterio. So yeah. that's the only reason Mysterio won. So I still believe yeah, that to this day. So I mean, it, it, it definitely is. They wanted the feel-good story and everything. Mm-hmm. But it's like, so it's, that's, that's, that's sad because it's like, you know, okay, he would have been a multiple-time champion. And then he really couldn't have, like, had an argument against him saying, like, oh, well, they gave him one run with the title. That was it. So it was a fluke. You know, it's like, because I think it, whenever you put a title on a guy more than once, you're pretty much saying he, he's a top guy no matter what. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's crazy. Go ahead, All Jeremy. Right, so, we've, so we've got Brian Pillman. We've got Kerry Von Erich. We've got Eddie Guerrero. And my pick to go on Mount Rushmore, uh, even though I you know, only saw this career briefly because of when he started, and I'm going to give a little introduction. Oh, what a rush. <laughs> i got to go with Hawk from the Road Warriors or the Legion of Doom, whatever you want to call their tag team. I... I personally love watching them as a tag team because these guys wrestled in the era, like the, the early eighties all the way through, I think what the mid nineties, somebody correct me. The gimmick era. They were entrenched in the gimmick era, but they were legitimate, tough guys. bitches. They were real badasses. Like they were when they weren't wrestling, when they were, you know, just getting into wrestling too, they were bouncers and bars. And, literally became bouncers and bars to beat the shit out of people like because Paul had a serious anger issue <laughs> you know so i mean he you know it, it's it's crazy but i really liked him i always loved their introduction i always loved 
the uh, football pads with the spikes coming out of them. I thought it made them look like real badasses. I enjoyed Mad Max, and I know that's where that kind of came from, the Mad Max movie with those, you know, with the gimmick a little bit. So it was just, they were fun to watch. And like I said, knowing that they were legitimate, like tough guys, they weren't like just big muscle guys for the sake of being muscle guys, like some guys in wrestling are. They'd have literally beat the shit out of you if you would have stepped up to them and they wouldn't have thought two, two seconds about it. You know, it's, it's crazy. So they were cool. They were like cool when you were a kid, when we were all kids, they were cool. Like everything about them was cool. Like I still watch stuff with them and I'm like, they're pretty, they were pretty cool back then. Like (laughs) as a kid, they were, they were, they were like the exactly what the kind of thing that got me into wrestling. They were one of the things like the LOD or road warriors. They were cool. Like they're arguably one of the two or three best tag teams of all time, I think. So I think about it too. The eighties was like the tag team decade, like all the tag teams that were in the WWF and the eighties and for them to stand out in that manner and just be so like over the top and stiff wrestlers and just throwing fucking guys around in the ring and things of that nature. That was, that was perfect for the first Mm -hmm. like 15 years I was watching wrestling. They, they had the best tag team finisher. Their finisher was so awesome. The doomsday (laughs) device, the doomsday device. I mean, that shit, the three other things came along, but for a long, long time, they had the coolest finishing maneuver as a tag team for years. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't have wanted to take that move. That's for sure. I'm pretty sure Matt Blackton took it. I'm pretty sure Matt Blackton let us do it to him once. The uh, like Matt's uh, like AJ said the uh, the interesting thing about them again was was how cool they were and I think it was like once they really got established it was really at a point where it's like everybody was just going to cheer for them it was it was good it was kind of impossible to turn them heel I think the only time anybody tried to was in Crockett I don't remember what year it was but you know Dusty was doing the booking so how did Dusty try to turn them heel by having them attack him. You know, they did the whole the thing where they took one of the spikes off and they tried to, like, gouge Dusty's eye out with it and Dusty bled, and that's how Dusty got fired. It was because, so it must have been 88, I guess. The Midnight Rider? Well, I was came back as the Midnight Rider. Oh. Yeah, but, um, so, but that's just it. It's like, you know, they were, they were also so unique, not just because of, like, you know, their look and everything, but they were the monster baby faces. Mm-hmm. that's like in wrestling that's like an that's like an oxymoron you there's you have plenty of monster heels but you never really had monster baby faces i mean maybe hogan could fit into that description and and the, and the warrior to an extent and i guess maybe undertaker once he was a face but i mean for the most part again you don't have monster baby faces and but they they pretty much were and and like joe said like the 80s were such a great tag team era in, in wwf but I mean, outside of WWF, too, because the Road Warriors didn't come into WWF until 90. So, like, they yeah. spent, you know, the 80s wrestling, you know, you know, WCW Arne Anderson. And... Yeah, well, mm-hmm. it's like you got, you, got, you got the Steiners and Arne Anderson and Tully Blanchard and Arne Anderson and Ole Anderson and uh, the Midnight Express and the Rock and Roll Express and the Fantastics and the Freebirds and, uh, you know, the Sheep Herders. Yes, I'm referring to the Bushwhackers before they were the Bushwhackers. <laughs> and um, they were like... They, they were, were like, like... Before they were the Bushwhackers. So, yeah, it's like, they, it was an amazing tag team era. You're like... And when you're like that cool, 
they mimicked they, the warlord and the barbarian tried to mimic them and demolition clearly tried to rip them off oh like, yeah you're really the cool heel version demolition. when somebody tries to rip you off and i like demolition i i did i liked demolition but yep. they were a 100 rip off and even the warlord and the barbarian were kind of rip offs so, like you know you've reached that point when they're trying to copy your thing <laughs> yeah all right fans so to wrap up our Mount Rushmore, we've got Brian Pillman, we have Kerry Von Erich, we have Eric Guerrero, and Hawk from the Legion of Doom. That is our Mount Rushmore. And Theo, take us home, my, bre- my brother. Oh, I'm taking us home? You're taking well, us I just, home? I just got to open my door and go on the other thing and uh, lay down on my couch before I have to work my midnight <laughs> shift. So uh, that's where my home's going to be right now. Um, listen, everyone, thank you for tuning in. Um, hope you enjoyed uh, our episode tonight. We'll have many to come. We don't just talk about wrestling. We talk about other sports. We talk about a lot of different things. Um, so I hope you enjoyed it. Um, so everyone, peace out. Have a great evening. Talk to you later. Goodbye, everybody.